Good morning, listener. Mission Impossible Fallout will soon be released to cinemas around the world. The sixth entry in the wildly successful film franchise spun off from the popular television series that ran from 1966 to 1973. The film is believed to serve as a vehicle for movie star Tom Cruise, who will attempt to showcase his ability to do increasingly elaborate stunt work at age 56. Your mission, should you choose to accept it is to listen to this podcast episode discussing and reviewing the franchise to date before pitching an idea for the sequel. This recording will self-destruct in 70 minutes. Common, bonjour, welcome uh, to this week's very special episode of Diminishing Returns. I say very special because this is the first time we've ever done a recording without Calvin and without a uh, a guest host. It's it's Alan and I. Yeah, just just the two of us. This is a, an intentional thing. This isn't like we <clears throat> we couldn't get anyone to agree to watch all five Mission Impossible films. No, we we thought very <laughs> early we wanted to just kind of establish. Hey, look, sometimes we're just going to be the two of us, and that's cool. <laughs> Find out. It's an experiment. In about two hours, if that works um, or not. But we figured because this is probably going to be quite a long episode uh, or a long record because we've got five films. Mm-hmm. We're doing Mission Impossible. Five films. Uh, we've got five films to talk about in anticipation of Mission Impossible Fallout, the the new one coming out. And I don't know about you, I, I've got a fair bit to say about each one, because they're all quite distinctly different, and yet all of the same. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. I did so make a lot of notes, yeah. Yeah. We we figured we'd, uh, we'd keep it streamlined, because yeah. it's going to be a big long one, and just shoot the shit. Yeah, so who are you? I am Saul Harris. And who are you? I am Alan Turing. Two thirds of diminishing returns. Now the whole <laughs> thing, I suppose. <laughs> and oh, I should have done something where I say like, "Pay attention, listener," because this podcast will self-destruct in two and a half hours. In two <laughs> two and a half hours' time. <laughs> um, yeah. So, um, just off the bat, this is a really weird franchise because. It's based on a television series, mm-hmm. and it's not a comedy. And it's not a comedy. And they're not doing a, a postmodern ironic <laughs> take on it. And it's a film franchise that's kind of surpassed the TV series. Like I, I don't think I realized it was based on a TV show until I was quite old. I, I think a lot of people don't realize it's based on a TV series at all. And I think the, the average person on the street, if you said Mission Impossible would think, oh, Tom Cruise films. Um, mm-hmm. And that's yeah. very unusual. I, I Have you ever seen the show? Are you familiar yeah. with the show? I am, actually. I used to watch it. It was on, whew, I don't know, Channel 4, probably, when I was a kid. I don't know why. <laughs> it was one of those sort of daytime shows. They used to show stuff like that, Man from Uncle, Land of the Giants, stuff, all that mm. sort of thing. But, so, yeah, I did watch it, and um, Martin Landau was in it, quite famously, Leonard Nimoy. Oh, really? Some sort of well-known names who were in it for quite a while. And it was funny because every week, he'd kind of he'd get a little tape recorder and he'd say, oh, this is your mission this week, if you choose to accept it. 
And then he'd write, right, I need to put a team together. I need the perfect team to do this particular mission. And it was just like the same three actors every week. <laughs> like the same three characters was all, they were always the right people for the, for the job. Like and Star then Trek. one, yeah, and then one other team. person. Yeah. Who, yeah, who was like a very specific job. That's it. Like, oh, you're the safe cracker or whatever. <laughs> this first film it is in keeping with that old TV show. What would always happen was they'd, they'd like, oh, we're going to have to impersonate, using very clever prosthetics and masks and things, we're going to have to impersonate like a Venezuelan general who's going to do a military coup or something to stop it. Yeah. Um, and then this, they'd show this Venezuelan general and it's just like, Leonard Nimoy in a fake nose and <laughs> and like oh I wonder who will be impersonating him later on <laughs> so uh, and they do that in this film uh, because we see the, one of these Russian guys I think it is and mm. it's just Tom Cr- no 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 he's an American senator isn't he he plays um, and it's uh, and it's just Tom Cruise in a like a big nose I had watched the first four of these films before. I had not seen the fifth one, so I watched that specifically for this podcast. Yeah, me too. And I, I re-watched the entire franchise, which, yeah. not to get ahead of my feelings on the franchise, but my first note is, this is going to be a slog fight these fucking <laughs> things. Um, well, yeah, what's, what interests me about the franchise in general is, mm. firstly, it's it's longevity, which is... The first film came out in 1996. Now we're doing the next one in, in 22 years later. Now that's pretty unusual. Yeah. Especially for a franchise that has retained its main star and is doing the same yeah. stuff. You know, how long can he keep doing that for? Well, yeah. But also that it's not... They weren't just like, okay, let's churn these out, let's churn these out. It's like mm. the six years in between. Yeah, it, I, I It's think... obviously like Tom Cruise is just like, oh yeah, go back to that. I'm not going like that. But I'm doing this other thing now and then I'll come back to that. Yeah. And the, and the other thing I really like about it Oh, well, let's not say like, I find interesting about it, are the choice of directors. Yeah. That are generally really directors who really bring their own flavor to it, and they're allowed to. These are not studio products churned out with a hack director. It's a real case of, I don't know, kind of letting auteurs showcase what they do within the mm. confides of a a big Hollywood production. And it's, it's, it's a very unusual approach for such a big franchise, but I... I find that the most interesting part of it and I, I think it's a real shame frankly that they seem to have moved away from that, that in the, <laughs> yeah. the last few because that, we'll that was that. <laughs> what made it appealing for the first four films it, it was the fact that each director came in and did have a, a distinctive style and and yeah and I, I was interested to watch this and kind of like when we do the Bond franchise just to see how these things changed over over two decades mm. and think I mean in terms of these types of films think how much Bond has changed in that time what Jason Bourne did yeah um, it actually didn't change that much yeah. in terms of its internal style less than I expected but definitely this first film it does feel like a 1996 film um, that is not uh, a denigration I like that actually a lot of practical effects and stuff like that. Mm. My very first note on this film was, bloody hell, Tom Cruise looks young. <laughs> it's just been a long time since I watched an old Tom Cruise film. Yeah. And it was just like, oh my God, he is young. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I had a similar reaction, yeah. yeah. Really so the first young. one, talking about the the directors, uh, was of course Brian De Palma, mm. who is, you know, at this point, he was a very well-established director. Oh, yeah. it, it seems like as the franchise progressed, they kind of, well, all the other directors are kind of up and comers in one form or another so it's the only time they've they've gone straight in with a, a really um clear-cut established guy is this first one yeah and he wasn't 
he wasn't on the wane really then. The, mm. It'd been a little while since the likes of the Untouchables and stuff like that, but yeah. he'd, he'd done plenty of other stuff. He was, you know, doing good stuff, and then he he did Mission to Mars a, a few years later, and that I think that was the beginning of the end, wasn't it? And a director of considerable vision, and mm. that really comes through in this film. And it's one of the things I really liked about it because it didn't feel like a kind of studio crank out an action film kind of product. It did feel a lot more auteuristic, I suppose. Yeah. I can't remember enough about the TV show to, to see if they've taken any great influence from that, but it was like there was a lot of like Dutch angles where they were kind of like skewed cameras shot on someone's face, like from underneath, mm, uh, like yeah. re- lots of really unusual shots that you don't really see very much that worked and created a, a sense of atmosphere. Also, because there's points where like we're seeing like flashbacks, but we're not sure if it is, but it's his imagining of it. So we don't know if mm. it's actually what happened. And so that really plays into that, the, the kind of un- unusual angles makes it feel slightly false. And you're, never sh- you're not quite sure what's real and what's not. And I think that really adds to the whole tone of the film, which is ultimately a sort of mystery suspense thriller. Yeah. And you've got that iconic theme music, which is probably yeah. more well known now than the TV show itself. Yeah, yeah, as <laughs> a kind of suspenseful, yeah, uh, build. And <laughs> and you know, a brilliant, brilliant bit of music. I think it really is a, mm. a deservedly iconic uh, theme tune. So the little central team that we create, and essentially this is a heist film. You know, we we sort of come in onto them doing uh, a bit of heisting, mm. and the team is led by John Voight. One of the other women in the team is his wife. Which seems a bit of a conflict of interest. Um, if he has to like let her die, <laughs> but um, but also she's about thirty years younger than him. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just like that's a bit odd. I bet Tom Cruise shags her. <laughs> so, <laughs> which you know, um, there's no waste of time at the beginning. It, it's sort of straight in the heist that they're doing. Essentially sets up the later story. So we're thrown in with these characters like well, we don't know who they are, or we don't know what's going on. Oh look, there's Tom Cruise. Emilio Estevez, and then, <laughs> and there's not there's not even much in the way of character introductions, and that's because this kind of this heist sets up what's going on, and then we kind of learn more as we go along. And I felt a little bit out of place at the beginning, but it, essentially it kind of it got me there in the end. My my note here says that there's just a vibe as if you're watching like an episode of Friends or something. It's like all these <laughs> young people just sat around. I don't know. It, it, my notes are basically just complaining about how boring I was finding the film. Uh, well, my, one of my notes is Ving Rhames and Jean Reno. This is seriously 90s. <laughs> <laughs> I love a bit Jean Reno. He's like, and he is, he'll always bring something to it. And in fact, he kind of, he, he played it with real comedy. Mm. Although he was actually quite a bad guy. Um, but I like that. This, this tells sort of a, a tale of when it was made that, you know, your computer hacker is Ving Rhames and not like a 17-year-old geek. Yeah. Kind of like that they find who's like, oh, he's the greatest hacker in the world. Oh, but he's a scrawny little white boy. What? <laughs> no one saw that coming. Played by, um, what's his face? Justin Long. Justin Long, yeah. <laughs> That's exactly what I was thinking. <laughs> uh, yeah, and I also made a note about the score that it was it was overly dramatic. Yeah, that, that was it. It, it was just it, it too, was too much. Too much, yeah. But well, what one thing I did like, and I, and I think I'm going to be at odds with you. I did actually quite like this film, the first one specifically. Uh, when Emilio Estevez's character dies, he gets crushed by a lift, and it kind of triggers the whole plot. But like that was really, I was kind of like, oh, okay, I'm on board here. I come in. I wasn't expecting these guys to die. One of them has. So it's like, okay, 
I'm, I'm kind of like, I'm not sure what's going to happen now. feels like anyone's fair game, except Tom Cruise, probably. Um, and it's weird, because watching it now, obviously I've seen it before a long time ago, and I was watching it, and essentially you see John Voight get killed, and I immediately was like, yeah, he's not dead. <laughs> and so that's obviously going to come back, which means he's probably going to be like the bad guy. It's a twist. And I've seen it before, so I must have known that, but I wasn't, I don't remember it that well. Yeah. So how yeah. did you, so was well, it obvious or not? I can't remember. I can't tell. Um, I think I probably wasn't paying as much attention as I probably should be because I was just so bored by it. But I, I it's, <laughs> it's like it's, the first 15 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, all my notes are really just complaining about this film, just saying it's so dry, po-faced. Uh, really? Some of the funniest slow motion running I've ever seen as he runs away from that water tank. Ah, <laughs> the French woman. I've put this... Uh, so Claire, Emmanuel Biet. I don't know if I'm saying that correctly. Yeah. I've put that she's fucking dire and the entire thing is performed as if she's drunk. Yeah, she's not great. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, some really good old-fashioned practical stunts, which I really like. Yeah, you know what? That, that That's something throughout this franchise is a huge selling point. Of it. <laughs> no, even the Brad Bird one's got mm, loads of practical mm, shit in it. Yeah, I don't know about that. But there's, there's, a bit on, there's a bit in the first film where they're on a train and the kind of camera zooms in onto this train and it's like you can tell it's this sort of quite early computer-generated uh, yeah. image stuff. And, then and it Dave, kind of looks a bit Dave crap. Schneider's... But it, Weird little role <laughs> as the the train yeah. driver who, who faints yeah. at the end, gurning. <laughs> but generally speaking, it is mostly practical. It works really nicely, and I know Tom Cruise likes to do all his own stunts and all that sort of thing, and it obviously really shows. These films were produced and really brought together by Tom Cruise, him and his yeah. producing partner. Well, is, is that true of the Wag- first Wagner, one? I think. Yeah. I know he's very much the uh, the godfather of the franchise now, but I didn't know how much of that was just being the lead in a series as it progresses. You know, I think Bruce Willis no, no, is a was... producer on the Die Hard sequels, but... Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, know. no, this is right from the beginning. Um, so Tom Cruise produced the film with Paula Wagner. Um, yeah, Paula Wagner, who is his producing partner, who I believe was his agent... And then they sort of buddied up to be produce films, and they produced mostly Tom Cruise films for like the late nineties. Then they bought out United Artists and did it under that label. Like they did it in partnership with Paramount or whoever it was. Yeah, yeah, right from the start. This is the this is a Tom Cruise kind of calling the shots, and and I think that plays a lot into what we we're saying about the choice of directors. Yeah, and yeah, giving them that freedom because I think he he's obviously just wants to embrace that. Where I think I generally a. Pro, a a production house, a studio would much rather play it safe. Yeah, yeah, and I—I I mean, I think it's a shame that, like we say, they've gone away from that. I, I, that suggests that I don't know. It's almost like this first film was more of a gamble, so they were willing to play it a bit weird. And as it's become more of a an established franchise, they're more worried about. Well, the budgets have probably gone up. And... Yeah. Um. Shall we talk about the very sort of very iconic scene from well, the first well, film? Well, yeah. So, I mean, my note is they're they're doing classic heist exposition and the film's engaging and fun. Finally, fifty five minutes in, uh, and then yeah. So, I I really enjoyed all this this heist stuff. It's all good fun. It's it's the scene that the film is remembered for uh, when people talk about Mission Impossible. Like you say, it's this iconic sequence where well, the bit they remember is Tom Cruise on wires wiring down <laughs> to, yeah. to hack into a computer um 
and 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 the 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 conceit of it is that they have to get to this computer without touching anything and without increasing the temperature of the room and and so he sort of just dangles in from the top doesn't he yeah basically there's a bit of stuff getting to that point that's quite cool as well but yeah basically that's that's the, yeah. the bulk of the scene and it, it's fantastic that they they you know they play with beads of cuz the room is so sensitive like anything will trigger the alarm they go out of their way to establish a, a drop of water from condensation on a glass is that what it is yeah. um yeah. triggering the alarm and then obviously he you know has a bead of sweat on his head at one point and it's mm. It's so brilliantly done, so tense. Up until the point where they do this horrendously shot bit where he catches the bead of sweat in his hand and it ruins <laughs> everything. But other than well, that... That's your, that's your CGI of the day, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Um, what, I, what I really like about the scene, though, particularly, Tom Cruise on these wires, it doesn't look very cool. He, yeah. He's like a spider, he's gangly, and he's like trying to catch his balance. It feels, re- it feels real that he's actually trying to balance himself. Yeah, And yeah, that's yeah. another thing where I think it is just him doing it really... And not aware. We've got three wires here that we've edited out later. Yeah. And he's got these little ballet pumps on that he's got. He's like, <laughs> just, it, it, it doesn't look very cool. And I really like that. It feels a bit more real. And as much as anything in this film is going to be feel real. Yeah. You know, you get the impression if this were a James Bond film, you know, he'd be very graceful and... and effortless with what he's doing and and the fact that this is done realistically just makes the tension work because you think fuck that's a tough job he's got there just to keep his balance like you start imagining Mm. how it'd be for you to do it and yeah it works it's it's a great great scene but of course it all you know they do some heist stuff there's some mirrors and laser beams and that sort of thing yeah and i do like a good heist (laughs) i do i do yeah and then they get to the big action set piece at the end with a helicopter and a train. Uh, and that's probably the second most iconic part of this film, I'd say, after the um, the scene we've just been talking about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know, it kind of lost me again. It's just kind of big, <laughs> overblown action, but not like... It doesn't feel like, wow, cool, practical action. It just feels very... Ah, uh, this is a film... <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how how did you feel about all that? You're not a big action guy, yeah, I'm so. not really that bothered about it. This one it, it held my attention, so it wasn't it didn't go over the overboard with it. And then there's sort of a few more twisty turny bits near the end where it turns out the wife is, was involved in it, but then she's kind of like not quite committed to the murder in the same way that John Voight is, yeah, and all this sort of thing, and some fake faces, a lot of fake fake faces and voices mm. that in particularly in these first few films. That start to stretch credulity. <laughs> I like that in, uh, a big part of the, the plot conceit here is that they can't get a good Wi-Fi signal on the train. Um, and I like that that would work just as well now, 20 years later. Because yeah. <laughs> it's still shit. But back then it was like a futuristic thing that they had to block. Yeah. Whereas now it's just shit and you don't have to do anything. <laughs> Um, I mean, that's it for my notes on the first one. It, it, to sum it up for me, a really boring film with a phenomenal heist scene uh, in the last act. Well, I, I, I mean, I enjoyed it, basically. I, I liked it. It kept me engaged. I had, uh, like I said, the director brings uh, something to it that makes it feel a little bit more individual. What ratings? Should we do ratings? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I gave it, I gave it an eight. Ooh. Ooh-hoo. Good, solid wow. film. I'd watch it that's again. That's very impressive, especially for an action film from you. Well, yeah, but that's what I think. I'd, it, it feels a lot like a, a, a suspense thriller heist film yeah. rather than action, and then there's a bit of action. And you go, okay, yeah. What What did you rate it? 
Well, I originally gave this a six, but upon rewatching it, I've downed that to a five mm-hmm. because uh, I really found the first hour just so dull. Oh, and fair enough. yeah. Um, so then the second one, two thousand, four years later. Uh, John Woo, uh, his previous film was Face Off, basically just on Face Broken Arrow. Before that was like his first uh, English language film, I think. Um, yeah, Face yeah. Off, which but very well known for his um, foreign action movies. Like he's still you yeah, know, he's, he's, he's one of the kind of Hong Kong, isn't it? Like he was based in Hong Kong. Or yeah, it? yeah, Hard Boiled, I think, is his most famous one. But he, he's I've not seen any of his. Um, I've only seen this and Face Off. I've I've been meaning to dig into his. I think while, I've seen but... one or two of the the better known ones, but I know he's he's a very well respected filmmaker. He well, he's a very well respected action filmmaker. Yeah, 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 yeah. But that's it. He's very you know the same way the same way people will point to Michael Bay and say you know say what you will about Michael Bay, he knows how to make an action sequence. He's, yeah. he's one of them. But then I do think, and this comes to bear in this film particularly, that John Woo is a very he's a specific style that that plays it with in like Hong Kong cinema. That's kind of a style that does it. He translated it to mm. American cinema and used a very similar style. Uh, I mean, I don't like it basically, and <laughs> I guess some people do. I I quite like the vibe of it. Yeah. Well, Face Off was really kind of well remembered, and I remember watching it at the time. I was a big Nicolas Cage fan in the 90s. I was the right age, and I was 13. And I liked it. Oh! And I... <laughs> I'm not, that, that, that could be Nicolas Cage doing anything. That could be Nicolas Cage being tortured. That could be Nicolas Cage... Having sex. Trying to scare someone. Could be Nicolas Cage having sex. Wanting some cake. <laughs> yeah, Nicolas Cage like stroking his daughter's face, saying goodbye <laughs> to her for like the final time. It could be him doing yeah, anything. That was John Travolta's right? character that did that. face stroking. <laughs> That's John Travolta. <laughs> I re I rewatched Face Off in the last few years and it was like I couldn't get through it. It was that bad. It was really terrible. Really? Yeah. I haven't oh, seen it in a long time. I've been wanting to go back to terrible. it for a while. Yeah, it's it's a batshit film from what I remember. That John Woo's known for making relatively batshit mental films. Uh, I say relatively, because obviously we're talking about within the confides of um mainstream Hollywood. Yeah, and this was his sort of peak, I think. He he did like a handful of American films that all did okay, but this was about as good as it got, I think. <laughs> and yeah, as we as we've spoken about coming into a franchise that another director has established and just completely changing it, and obviously he was given free reign to do what he wanted. I, there's stuff that happens at the start that I can't remember, but then the 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 famous bit near the start is Ethan Hunt is just free climbing up a, a cliff face. Oh yeah. Um, and it's Tom Cruise just free climbing, and there's, you know, there's no doubt a, a net like immediately out of shot below him. Uh, you know, I'm sure it's not nearly as dangerous as it looks, but, but it feels I mean, totally real. There's guys give him credit. There that, on the that's cliff, it. It yeah. feels it's stressful to watch. <laughs> it's <laughs> like, oh my god, like this guy's holding on with his hand off the side of a cliff, like really high up. It's it's yeah. Um, it's a stunt for stunt's sake. I, I kind of wish oh, yeah. this sequence was uh, set up for something later, and and maybe like you he know has to he's, climb has to ascend the cliff face with men shooting at him or something like that. But it's cool. I mean, as far as this sort of self indulgent stuff goes, uh, I think it's quite a cool little opening. Uh, yeah, it's, and and it is literally just an opening sequence, isn't it, to just establish the yeah. character where he is and the and the setup for the mission. Yeah, there's a Russian doctor guy. 
and they kill him on the plane. Yeah. Or they don't kill him or something, I can't remember. But it, 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 you think it's Tom Cruise, and it's not Tom Cruise. That was it, yeah, yeah. Um, that sets up straight away this sort of identity switching thing, which, I mean, face-off is realistic compared to what they managed to do with these masks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, and, and, and the basic concept of, look, you put a fake face on and uh, have a little thing on your throat that makes your voice different, which I'm, I'm kind of completely okay with. Look, you put this thing on the throat and yeah, it makes your voice change. I can, but I can nonsense, go with it. But I can, exactly, in the world of the film, that's fine. There's nothing, you know, it, it's set up as a ludicrous spy thing. Yeah, I mean, should we should we mention James Bond briefly? Because another note here I've got is um, I don't like Tom Cruise getting all this James Bond sexy shit. He isn't James Bond, but this film seems yeah. to really want him to be James Bond all of a sudden. I and... made the exact same note. Yeah, this one is much more Bond-like. It's more. It was more immediately playful mm. um, because the f- the first one was like, oh, he's being betrayed by his own people. And that's very yeah. Jason Bourne, even. And and then this one is more. Yeah, oh look, we're getting a nice sports car and then I'll chase this girl and fuck her in the back seat. Yeah. That is very Bond-like. Yeah, and it just, it doesn't, it's not the character we had set up in the previous film for a start. Mm. And it's just, I don't know, Tom Cruise is just a bit seedy for that. I don't know, it doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't play properly. It's, it's... <laughs> yeah, maybe. I don't know. Um, I really liked Handy Newton. She's a great actor. But... I think I only like her now that she's like old and her voice is a bit deeper because <laughs> it just it wasn't doing it for me here. I don't I don't mean like I don't mean I'm attracted to her. I mean as an actor, I think she's really great. But um, now she's older, she's just got more gravitas to it. Might be just like, a, herself. It might just be a crap character, to be honest. Maybe, yeah. yeah. But I've never I've never really seen her do any acting as a young woman before. It's the yeah. first time I think I've really. I I did uh, make a point that the, the film wasn't gripping me. I was thinking this is like halfway through. Oh really? Yeah, I've made almost the opposite note. I've I've made a note here that I find this far more engaging and interesting so far, purely down to how kinetic the action is. Uh, not that the film itself is any good, but this well, was maybe, a note made fairly yeah. early on. I mean, I may, I've said this isn't gripping me. Later on, I've put I've completely tuned out. I don't know what's going on anymore. <laughs> so I was obviously not focusing on it. But I, yeah, I, did, I also I, put I, a note uh, that I got to the same point. Yeah. But certainly was off to a better start for me. I, I did put a note that it's a lot less actiony than I expected, like particularly mm. as a John Woo. Although they pretty much made up for that, they obviously just shoved the whole budget in the last forty minutes. Um, <laughs> so they did make up for that. This was early. On I mean, there's I all that. There's all the stuff with the cars at the start that I quite enjoyed with them driving yeah. and jumping out of a car and this and that. So yeah, I mean, we as we said, like John Woo has put his stamp all over this film, and for me that doesn't work because I don't particularly like doves. Uh, in slow motion, <laughs> um, there's a lot of pigeon action. Yeah, yeah, staple. <laughs> John Wayne's staple. Um, I mean, yeah, my my notes are just deteriorate. They start off quite positive, and then it just starts complaining about how boring it is. Boring yeah. slow motioning with some guy in Newton. Boring. This there's felt the dubs a lot more. Being set up. Yeah, there you go. This film felt a lot more contrived. It just felt like a series of kind of action points to move us along, rather than a proper story, yeah. like an intricate plot line. And my final note is just the word awful. So uh, it really did fall apart for me, this one, as it went on. Just... <laughs> well, I mean, there's there's other thing, other problems I had. Like, Tandy Newton infects herself with a particular disease that they want, and so they have to keep her alive. Um, I don't know why they can't just take her blood and then kill her, I don't know. So that's kind of her way to keep her alive. And then at one point, there's like a, a moment where Ethan Hunt 
could kill her and that would stop the kind of the bigger problem, but you'd have to kill her. And I was like, are we seriously supposed to expect this guy to kill the leading lady of the film? Like, are we supposed to have feel dramatic tension about this? Obviously he's not going to kill her. <laughs> Lowe's just, it just descends into action at the end. And it really annoyed me that they, how, how great lengths it goes to, to not have Ethan Hunt kill anyone. Uh, like all these bad guys he's killing, he's knocking people off motorbikes and they just like fall over and stuff. And is he not, does he not kill anyone? I think he kills the bad guy right at the end, like he does, he gets the job done. But even that is a kind of like, oh, he's going to come and shoot you, I'll get him at the last second kind of death. But all this stuff, which is which is out of fashion now a little bit more, but like to keep the hero heroic and like doesn't just brutally murder people, even the bad guys, like willy-nilly. The other sort of main thing that really annoyed me was the masks. Like and he, he, he becomes the uh, like the henchman guy. Like, where did you get the mask from? How did you put it on, like, in a, in the moment? And not just put the mask on, but then put dirt on his face to match. Uh, like, what? Come on. Like, where was the mask? Where did you have it in your back pocket? It's just, it was too, too much of a, a stretch to, to, for me to just accept it. So I, I, I did the exact same thing with this one that I did with the first one, where I bumped it down a notch on my rating, having rewatched it. Oh, yeah? Um, originally, I had this as a five. It's now a four for me. I've bumped yeah. it down. Just dreadful. Well, I, I, <laughs> give dreadful. It a, I give it a five. Yeah, so similar. Should we move on to the third one? Yeah. So six years on, Mission Impossible 3. I, I remember this one coming out now. I'm, I'm old enough to... <laughs> or rather, this is late enough that I start remembering, like, the releases of these things now. And yeah, this was a big deal. This was J.J. Abrams, uh, who's obviously now one of the biggest, arguably the biggest director in Hollywood at the minute, working. Um, and this was his first film, right? And yeah, it was his first film. Uh, he was a TV guy before this. And I think a big part of it was how much of a remarkable debut it was, really, to say it's a big film. You know, from, yeah. a, from a technical point of view, the direction is really very good. I think I've spoken on this show before about my feelings on J.J. Abrams and how I feel that he's kind of the definition of a, a hack, um, <laughs> a Hollywood hack, hired gun, no real artistic vision. You know what? I had a oh my god, this is I had a nightmare last night where <laughs> this is so I had a fucking weird nightmare where I was in Star Wars Episode Nine, but it was like almost like a horror thing, and because J.J. Abrams had. Like to appease the fans, had brought back um, Jar Jar Binks. Instead of Snoke, he'd brought in the brother of Snoke, who was there to like get revenge. But it was like this weird, ancient, like Mayan temple type place that a load of people were trapped in. And it was, I don't know why I was there. It was very <laughs> weird. But yeah, so I've obviously got some issues with J.J. Abrams uh, <laughs> that I need to work through. Um, he certainly brings his own dare I say, generic approach to filmmaking yeah, yeah. is quite a new vision for this franchise. So it still feels like an altered piece, comparatively. It still feels like, oh yeah, this is the J.J. Abrams one, okay. Yeah. And I suppose what he brings to it is some excellent casting. Uh, all the films have had great actors in them up until now, but this one adds a lot of particularly yeah. noteworthy actors. Obviously you've got Simon Pegg, who's your little comedy guy, and 
My note here is that he's a welcome highlight of the film purely because he's just kind of a friendly presence. Yeah. But you know, you've got uh you've got Lawrence Fishburne who's who's great. Yeah. Uh, yeah. you've got Kerry Russell you mentioned, Maggie Q, um, mm-hmm. who was having a bit of a moment around the noughties. Yeah. She doesn't do that much though, unfortunately, in this film. No, she I know. And of course the late Philip Seymour Hoffman, the late yes. great Mr. Seymour Hoffman, who Definitely. This film really lives and dies on, I suppose. I'll, I'll. Well, I think the problem for me, I mean, I love Philip Seymour Hoffman. I think he's one of the best actors of his generation. And even in something like this, which is very kind of mm. paying the bills kind of work, you know, um, he still brings a lot to it. Uh, he brings a real lot of character to what could be a very cardboard, cut out, menacing kind of guy. Yeah. And. Part of my problem with it is, is that I like him so much and I like his performance so much is that I kind of want him to win at the end. <laughs> like I don't, I don't hate him as a character. Yeah, I, I, kind I, of like, I, yeah and, I get and then Tom that. Cruise and his stupid wife. Um, not that she's stupid, but the concept is stupid, and all that bullshit I didn't like. And so I was just like, oh, just kill him, For fuck's sake, blow his head up. Yeah, my relationship with Philip Seymour Hoffman in this film is I kind of went into this as a bit of a Hoffman skeptic. Because I, I just kind of remembered it being quite a bland, uninteresting character. And I remember people raving about him in this film. And I, I just kind of went into it with an attitude of like, is he really all that? Because mm. he, he kind of just does a Buffalo Bill voice and everyone's like, wow, <laughs> bravo. I mean, that's just his voice, I should add. It's not him putting one on. Yeah, <laughs> he just kind of talks like this. Um, but you know like he's probably the best thing in the film and I I think that's partly down to the script I think he's given his character is given the most interesting sort of dialogue and and things to do he's given those very calculated menacing exchanges with Tom Cruise and so on Um, but then I I don't know as I say I'm not I'm not a big Abrams guy uh, and I think a lot of his hack sensibilities come through in this film. Well, uh, right from the beginning. Well, I was going to say we, the, the opening is a great example of this cheap, cheap writing. Yeah. Uh, the film opens on the ending just to kind of force some tension. Oh my God. How did we get here with Tom Cruise being beaten up and his wife's going to be shot? Oh, yeah. well, three weeks earlier. As if we're like, supposed that's... to believe that she's going to be murdered in front of him. Like yeah. after we build up this story that he's in love and it's his wife, that's yeah. obviously not going to happen. But it's also because it's also because they knew it'd be so boring to just like not start with something interesting, like to just oh, and it, it's just so cheap. It's such cheap writing. I mm. I don't mind. And there's no way it was scripted ending, like that. But it's obviously been yeah. decided in the edit because there's nothing in there that sets something up. It's it's not written mm. that way. It's not clever. That's it. It's that's just like oh god, that's this film's a bit boring. Let's what can we do? That's the thing when it's. Because whilst I'm not one of these people who has a real issue with Tom Cruise, like some people are, I do think he tends to perform characters that are very hollow. I think Ethan Hunt is a very hollow, uninteresting character, and I don't really care about him as a person or his personal life. I'm only interested in the purest human, visceral empathy I can have with, oh god, he's just been shot in the leg that must hurt you know which is so i don't i I can understand maybe it was a conscious decision this film to to give him some characterization and backstory but i don't want it i'm not interested when did um when did tom cruise like officially go mental in terms of the public uh 
I think it was around this era. Can I say it was the the kind of Oprah, when he jumped on the sofa, Oprah jumping the couch thing is the sort of obvious kind of that's yeah point. that's the yeah. so when was that? Even though that's largely taken out of context, and he's actually pretty reasoned in that clip. If you ever watch the full thing, but that's it. That's that's the thing. It's more about his public, the public persona of Tom Cruise, kind of turned from this uh, can do no wrong major Hollywood star, sexy guy, to he's a bit weird, isn't he? <laughs> yeah. And so looking at this, I think it was two thousand and five, the year before this came out. So this was mm. slap bang in the middle of crazy Tom Cruise. Yeah. No, so my notes are very sleek and Abramsy, but very bland and devoid of personality. Man. So boring. What's even happening? Simon Pegg. Uh, <laughs> so when he showed up, when Simon Pegg showed up, I thought, "Wow, he's turning up late in the game." So I checked the time of the film: thirty-three minutes in. <laughs> but it felt like twice that. <laughs> there's, there's just lots of details in this that sort of annoyed me a little bit. The the score was like a proper big orchestral booming mm. score, which again I didn't like. I think that's I I'm all right with that because it it very much feels like Abrams doing and how he does stuff. And I, like I say, I'm all for just let a director put their stamp on it. And that's I think one it of just the few didn't places... it didn't fit the scope of the film though. It just like in yeah, a... that's because this is the most by all accounts this is the most small intimate Mission Impossible of the yeah. entire franchise. Um, yeah, there's some big action on a bridge, but the story is centered around Tom Cruise and his wife and this kind of power play with the villain. Well, my my point, my my note for about the first action sequence where they're trying to save Kerry Russell, it's like it was all really dark and just bang, 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 bang. That was it. It was like there was nothing much going on. Mm. I did like I liked the like little explosive in the head things, quite a neat concept. And I did like when it went off and the, the eye just sort of twitches and goes funny. I thought that was yeah. really, without being like overtly grotesque or anything, it was really brutal and quite d- yeah. jarring. Yeah. Now, there's a bit in this film I do really enjoy, and that's when we get another heist sequence. It seems like these franchises come. This franchise comes alive when it's doing a heist. Is this when they they try and uh, storm the Vatican? I'm not sure. I've, I've got the one where they kidnap. Um... Uh, Owen Davian, Philip Seymour Hoffman. They do the face mask gadgets, which are pretty cool how they're handled, even though, again, they're utterly ridiculous. Uh, yeah, all well, that's. I think that's the Vatican. They're in some, yeah, somewhere. Is that this well, one? Yeah, I think so. I, I can believe it. Anyway, yeah. Well, yeah, and so, they, so, yeah, it's a whole heist thing where they have to get this guy out yeah. undetected. And you get some um, Philip Seymour Hoffman acting as Tom Cruise yeah. Yeah, being yeah, yeah. Philip Seymour Hoffman, which I really enjoy. <laughs> which, yeah, I loved it. Because he, cause he, cause he's Cause he does it well. As if Tom Cruise is being him. <laughs> but he, he does it really well. I mean, that's... I, I think it's testament to his skill as an actor. Yeah. He really does a good job of that. Just Because Tom, just Tom Cruise is not... You know, it's not like you can just do a stupid accent. He, he's got to kind of get his mannerisms down you know yeah, yeah, and it's yeah. very subtle what he does but it's yeah it's good and uh, but there was the whole concept of this thing with the wife i didn't like why well, why is he even getting involved with obviously it's not going to end well and and like all this stuff about love and oh you've got to trust me and like it's like everything you ever say to her is a lie and even if you love her, when you come home from work and you've just murdered someone or you've had a really tough day, like you, you're coming home and going, hey, everything's fine. You're hiding everything from her. Like there's no way you can have a good, intimate, emotional relationship with someone if you're, if you're hiding 97% of your life. 
I didn't mind the kidnapped wife stuff so much as you, I don't think. I, think well, I, I don't mind a kidnapped right... wife. I, it's the wife that bothers me. Yeah, <laughs> the okay. fact that yeah, he's no, even I, got I a, a relationship like that. And, and it doesn't fit with the character we know of him either. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. But the, the last six notes I've got here are, this is a pretty decent effort of a film from about an hour in when Seymour Hoffman kidnapped wife plot kicks in. Yeah. Then I've got bored. Then this is boring. <laughs> then this is so boring. Then this film is gash, and then this franchise is gash. So, <laughs> well, I mean, I, <laughs> I made quite a few notes about the stuff that was going on. Was probably because it was all annoying me. Uh, there was another bit I really liked, um, where he's escaping from the uh, IMF headquarters, and he <laughs> he manages to block all their radio transmissions so the security guys can't communicate with each other. And this is a quote from the film. Oh, he's managed to block all radio communications by holding down the transmit button. Because <laughs> <laughs> he holds down the button on his radio, they can't communicate with each other. <laughs> like, this is the the finest, like, organisation with all the best gadgets and technology. <laughs> oh, but I, I really like they, they that. They make a big thing out of that in a few of the films, don't they? Doesn't he do that again in a later one? Well, no, he, he plays some music over it. No, it's the same know? scene. It's all the same scene, yeah. He kind oh, of attaches yeah. to something. But I, I really liked that. It kind of undercut everything that we know about yeah. it. And I don't know yeah. if it was I don't know if that was deliberate, but I found it funny in a good way. I think I think it's played for laughs in a kind of cheeky Tom Cruise, what a silly <laughs> thing to do kind of way. I think it is meant humorously to a point. But it's maybe it's just because way, but... of all the futuristic gadgets and stuff they have. Know, it's just yeah. like that so it's, it's sort of if Bruce Willis did that in Die Hard, it's, it'd be fine, but um uh, the the end of this film, or towards the end of the film, before we have the big showdown with Philip Seymour Hoffman, Tom Cruise has managed to get this rabbit's foot, this thing that Philip Seymour Hoffman wants to save his wife, and all he has to do is ring him and tell him he's got it. But he's only got like two minutes before the deadline. And, damn it, I can't get a signal! <laughs> but one of the biggest cities in the world, basically. And for some reason, he can't get a phone signal. <laughs> Again, just fake tension. Like, what... Do we are we really gonna if this film ended with him not being able to get a signal for two minutes and so his wife is murdered, that'd be an amazing ending. <laughs> but obviously it's not gonna happen. So why are we f- faking this tension? I mean, I remember when it came out, people loved this film. They they were making a huge thing out of it and how great it was, and it's just not. <laughs> Basically, it's yeah. It's I mean it sums this franchise up for me. I just I don't get like some people think this is a really amazing franchise and they love it and it's you know as far as action movies go I I guess like it's a cut above Transformers or uh yeah the Transporter or something but I'd... James Bond <laughs> But um it's just not that good, is it? <laughs> um, but I do think the third one's a step up from the second one. It was, but not that much. I think it's one of those films that is more immediately enjoyable because it just feels like a better film, but then actually oh. the plot is not very engaging. It's less it's rough around the edges, yeah. yeah certainly, yeah. it's glossier. I mean, I, I didn't bump this one down, my rating on the rewatch. It stayed where I rated it originally, which is a 5 out of 10. <laughs> yeah, I give it a 6. Yeah. Which I think was a bump down from when I originally saw it. Um, so now this gets interesting for me, because the fourth film was the live-action feature debut of Brad Bird, who we've obviously spoken about on this show before, yeah. uh, when we did our The Incredibles episode. I've probably mentioned him in some other episodes, because he, he used to work on The Simpsons. He directed one of my favourite films of all time, The Iron Giant. 
and uh, <laughs> then settled in at Pixar with The Incredibles and Ratatouille. Uh, never, ever made anything live action, to the best of my knowledge, before this. Had always really spoken a big game about how there's no difference between directing live action and animation. It's all the same. Same principles apply. A lot of people were like, bullshit. Uh, and then he made this film, and to be fair, he, he did kind of prove his point that he's very capable of directing a live-action film. This is a, an, yeah. a, much like J.J. Abrams' work, this is an accomplished, glossy film. It's well-directed. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's not not good. <laughs> well, I'd argue that's predominantly down to the writing. Well, um, definitely, I, I mean, a big note I had is the effects in this film are really shit. Um, they, you think? Yeah, because they, they seem to go away from practical effects, try to do a lot more com- computer stuff, and uh, a lot of it just I doesn't know, feel good I, enough I, for a film of this level, basically. I thought the effects were pretty good. I, I The effects that jump to mind are the scene where Tom Cruise is climbing up the building, which was done for real, practical. That was yeah, yeah, that looked good. Uh, yeah, fair enough. That good. Um, it's just anything where there was an explosion or a crash and stuff like that. Oh, yeah, the, yeah, okay, yeah, fair enough with that. Um, the one thing I, I really got hung up on when I went to watch this film, and I can kind of see it still, is that it, it just feels very flat to me, visually. I, I don't know what it is. It, I think it's something really subtle with the cinematography that's so subtle I, I don't know enough about cinematography to explain it like properly and articulate it. I think it's to do with like choice of lenses. But mm. it's all these shots that feel like they should be really deep, full of depth, and they just feel very two-dimensional. Um, is it, could flat. it be because there's a lot of uh, there's probably a lot of fake backgrounds? Maybe like you're shooting in a in a city square and then put the Kremlin like picture behind you. Maybe like, yeah. I mean, it, there's, there's a lot of stuff that um, like it was shot to give you know a sense of depth. You'll be looking down a tunnel. You'll be you know looking at this other thing, and it just never. I don't know. Um, it's a weird thing, and I, I think I only picked up on it in this film to the point that I did because I was really analysing. Oh, it's coming from a director who's worked in animation, and I, I don't know if that got you know put the idea in my head. But I, I do think it looks very weirdly flat. Yeah, um, I think I think for me that translates as looking fake. Like mm-hmm. I said, like uh, some of the effects I just didn't like. It just felt like unreal. Most of all of the stuff I was looking at. Well, uh, straight up, this is by far and away for me the best of the franchise. I think this is by far and away the best film. Um, It's far more engaging. There's more more heist sequences than you get in the other films. The action set pieces just seem a bit more interesting. Uh, Obviously, you've got Jeremy Renner, which isn't great. but, (laughs) um, (laughs) But other than that... So, I mean, well, it opens on a prison break, which isn't nearly as interesting as it should be. Tom Cruise escaping prison. Yeah. And, and the, like, yeah, this old, like, Soviet-era prison that's falling apart, but has electronic gates for some reason. Weak. Yeah. And, um, and also, I made a note that, oh, well, oh, look, Simon Pegg's doing all the computer stuff. I guess Ving yeah. Rhames can fuck off then. Yeah. <laughs> so he's not in it. <laughs> um, but then we get Tom, Tom Cruise dressed up as a Russian, which is brilliant. Um, Simon Pegg is bordering on insufferable in this one, is the note I've made Uh, Uh, I I used to love him so much They thought of letting him off the leash a bit too much Yeah, (laughs) see, well I I used to love Simon Pegg Like, 
circa 2004, 5, 6. He was like one of my all-time idols. And then, I don't know, this this was just like peak Simon Pegg around here where it just got a bit too like, you know, Paul came out, Run the Fat Boy Run, all these lesser Simon Pegg projects. And it's just like, <laughs> go, on, go back to Edgar Wright. Something good. <laughs> uh, I do. I liked the when they're doing the heist bit where they're pretending to be Russians to get into the Kremlin. They've got this sort of screen thing that they set up in a corridor that projects yeah, the thing of the screen. I love that. I really like that. I put, I put the, this is this is exactly what I want from a kind of like heist movie shenanigans. Yeah. It's kind of just plausible enough that I'll buy it, but it's futuristic and kind of cool as well. It's a crazy spy gadget, but it is. The science behind it is explained to the point that it, it to the point that it fucks up, you know, to the yeah, point yeah, that yeah. it can't track multiple eyes at once. To the point that Simon Pegg stands in front of the camera and his head goes all massive. <laughs> like you see the flaws in the technology, and it, yeah. that's why it works so well. I I don't know this, but I bet you that's a Brad Bird thing. He seems like someone who's very interested in his gadgets and technology. Yeah, you can see yeah. it in The Incredibles. He, yeah. He's got a lot of this stuff in there. Yeah, we made that note in The Incredibles episode we did, like these kind yeah. of cool gadget things that they don't really hang any weight on them. They just go, oh, look, there's this thing. They just add flavour to the world mm, that's yeah. being built. Yeah, so I, I enjoyed all the Kremlin stuff, more or less. Um, what, I, what annoyed me about that sort of sequence was afterwards, like this, he wakes up in a hospital and this policeman's like... Yeah. We know you. You know you did this. We found you with like a fake general costume. And why is he waking up in a hospital and not in a prison? Like after he's been, like, and this policeman's going to him. Look, we know you did it. I'm going to take you to prison soon. And then they go. Look, a nurse comes in. And goes, excuse me. I've got to take him into a ward now. Like as if he's not. Like this is an American who's just blown up the Kremlin. That's what they like. The fact that he's even alive is is, yeah. is ridiculous. But they're just sort of oh, we'll just sort well, of maybe they wanted to get some information out of him first. You know? Yeah, but you take him to a prison hospital at least, something with major yeah, yeah, maximum yeah. security. I do really like the scene where he tries to escape though, and then that the Russian guards like pokes his head out of the window and looks <laughs> at him, and you see how like ridiculous his plan is to kind of jump, and the guy just kind of nods like, "Go on then," <laughs> and then he does it, and the guy's like, Whoa! and like. <laughs> throwing his cigarette away and trying to like run after it. I think that's all the way that's handled has enough um Yeah, this has a bit levity more of a sense to of it. humor, I think. Maybe. Yeah, yeah, it's that it gets away with it. And I think yeah. that's true of this entire film. I think it's in the right place. It knows that it's silly. It's not trying to be too serious with what it's doing, and I think that's a big, big part as to why this one works so much better for me than what came before it. Yeah. I think the building climbing sequence is great. Yeah. They set up the the mask. Uh, they do another big mask thing, but then the machine breaks, so you kind of get that technology. You get some extra tension. You don't have them reusing the same old tricks. They, he meets Jeremy Renner, yeah, uh, who is an analyst. He's just a, a square, an office guy. Um, but to sort of, <laughs> he wants to identify this guy. He saw, so he gets a biro, draws a face on his hand. And then goes, look, this guy is like six foot tall. He's a white guy. Who is it? Like he's got a biro <laughs> face. And the guy, and, and he's just like, oh yeah, I know that is. Like, come on. <laughs> like, I mean, there's a, there's a few bits in these films where he'll like do a drawing of someone from memory. And it's like, they use that to identify someone. It's like, come on. Like, that's okay. I'll buy that. But drawing a biro face on your hand. <laughs> come on. <laughs> <laughs> Um, also, and, and Jeremy Renner's character, who is yeah, he's, he's introduced as this analyst who accidentally kind of gets dragged into the mess. 
And it's like, well, why have you got Jeremy Renner playing an analyst? Like, this should be Toby Jones or something like that. Why, why is, have you got this buff kind of capable guy doing this? It's like, oh, I wonder if it's going to turn out he's actually a field agent and he can kick yeah. some ass. Which would be great if Toby Jones was playing it and like then he just starts kicking people's ass. That would be amazing. <laughs> as, as much as I enjoy this one the most out of the entire series, and I think it, it's got a lot of great sequences, it's still just very... Yeah, there's, there's something very nothingy about it. Mm, yeah. um, the, the plot was a lot more engaging than the last couple. But it, it kind of builds to a, a massively weird crescendo of an ending, this film, doesn't it? With um, There's basically like a nuclear yeah. arsenal that's going to be like... It's one nuclear weapon going towards... Uh, I don't know which city it was even, I can't remember. Probably Washington, D.C. America. Yeah, somewhere in America. Um, and yeah, and they have to stop it. Like. But it's—I mean—that's some serious like stakes for this franchise. And and we get this action sequence at the end where he's fighting the guy in a uh, car, yeah, a garage. Uh, and that's that's a cool location, I guess. And he, he, you know, yeah, they use makes it makes good use of it. Yeah, but the the guy kills himself, right? The bad guy kills himself because he doesn't want him to get the briefcase. So he grabs hold of the briefcase and jumps off the thing. But it's like that. Doesn't make it. Another point of it was to show that he was willing to die for his cause, but just throw the briefcase off. Like if all you're doing is getting it away from Tom Cruise, so you can't stop it. Just yeah. throw it. Well, why did you have to jump with it? And then you're dead, so you can't then stop him getting down there and get it. It doesn't. Like, yeah, it's dumb. Isn't it? <laughs> just stupid. It's dumb. Um, um, yeah. The, what can we can we talk about the wife from the previous film then? The, and, yes. and her notable absence in this film because I sort of made a note at the beginning was like right they've obviously just fucked that right off they don't they're just like <laughs> we can't be bothered with that but they do use it as a kind of a motivation for Ethan Hunt it gives him a bit of a dark past that we think he might have gone a bit mental because his yeah. wife's been killed and like this sort of regret that he brought her into this world and then it's kind of re- it's revealed at the end that she's actually alive he kind of faked it so that she would be safe and I'm all right with that because he still has that loss. He still had to give her up in order to live the life that he lives. Um, I kind of like that. And they interwove it into the story. So it gave Jeremy Renner some motivation. I mean, it didn't really work that well. But I, I appreciated what they did with it rather than just going, oh, yeah, we broke up. Oh, fuck it. Yeah. <laughs> and the, yeah, and that, the big, the famous sequences in walking up the, the Burj Khalifa, isn't it? And uh, on the windows. Mm. And that's all. That's done really well. It's kind of there's enough tension there. To say he's just walking up a building. Yeah, like they managed yeah. to bring lots of different elements into it. I mean, it was missing a scene like because obviously he's walking up this building. Like surely people can see him. Like Spider Man. Yeah, I the kept building. waiting. It just for yeah, it. just a scene with David Schneider sat in an office and the looks out of the window goes. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Or like yeah. he could have at least like, and then he has to go. I'm cleaning the windows, love, <laughs> or something like that. It, it really, yeah. I mean, they must have shot something. There must be a deleted scene of <laughs> you know someone's giving a seminar to a group of people and saying you know about I don't know health and safety in the workplace, <laughs> and like Tom Cruise is climbing behind him, like fault dangling off, and uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, why wasn't that in it? <laughs> it really should be. Um, right, so should we should we do ratings, or have you got anything else to say? I give it a seven, oh. which is my best rating after the first one. It was definitely a more entertaining piece overall. Okay, well, um, I give it a six, which is the highest rating 
of uh, this franchise so far for me. <laughs> and I, I have Calvin's rating for this film here. Oh, really? A little <laughs> ghost at the door. Is that, am I using that phrase correctly? No. <laughs> ghost at the feast. <laughs> Spectre at the feast. Um, <laughs> Ding dong! Oh, look, it's, it's Calvin. It's Calvin's ghost. Oh, hello! Guess what I gave Mission Impossible 4? <laughs> oh, someone just walked over my grave. Oh. <laughs> Calvin, how did you die? Oh, I ate some bad fish in milk. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, is that so? Well, yeah, how do you rate this film, Calvin? Oh, I give this a five out of ten. Oh, that's, like, um, uh, he agrees with us then. Yeah, yeah I was gonna say, that sounds like you're kind of in line with us, which is Actually, odd, no, it's a little, a little bit lower than us. Cause, yeah, know. but Calvin's a harsh, a harsh reviewer, and he, he probably didn't like how this film was sort of stepping on James Bond's toes a bit as well. I bet it's a bit of a rivalry <laughs> between the modern yeah. James Bond films and the Mission Impossible films. So uh, there you go, Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol. So that leads us to the last one, yeah, Rogue, Rogue Nation. Nation. Now this is where they kind of gave up on the whole altered director thing and just mm-hmm. got Tom Cruise's PA to make a film for him. Uh, <laughs> this, this was directed by Christopher McQuarrie. Uh, debut uh, direction. Yeah, but he's a, he's a writer, is what he is. And a writer of he, some he repute. Is, that's it, previous, he is Tom Cruise's personal writer, from what I can gather. I, I get the impression he's kind of like... Um, like, you hear the stories of Bruce Willis having a writer that he takes with him everywhere to yeah. punch up his scripts. You, I think that's what this guy is to Tom Cruise. Oh, and oh, it's really? not his debut, sorry. He, he directed Jack Reacher and The Way of the Gun. So yeah. he's, he's Tom Cruise's go-to uh, collaborator, I suppose. But yeah, but he's... I mean, his career is built on... The, he wrote The Usual Suspects. Yeah. And then everything he's done since then has been not as good. <laughs> yeah. I don't like the usual suspects. It's rubbish. That's nonsense. I'm going to pick it next time I pick a film. Oh, I hate it. <laughs> oh, great. Uh, I can't wait to watch Benicio Del Toro farting in a, a lineup again. <laughs> I'm surprised you don't like that film. It's a good film. Yeah, it's really boring. No. Okay. Well, you're wrong. But let's move on. Uh, so they go on to. <laughs> Rogue Nation. So I really like the intro, uh, the opening sequence with him jumping on an airplane. Yeah, again on the side of a plane. That Done felt for really real, real. That was like a good practical stunt again. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's a great, exciting opening to a film. But then I don't know. It kind of just devolved into like nonsense. It, the, the syndicate's very theatrical to be that they like set up a message that's like, hello, Mr. Cruz, we're going to kill you now. Mwahahaha. Instead of just shooting him in the back of the head or something. The plot, at first, the plot was more intriguing. Like, it felt like there was more going on. It kind of didn't quite go anywhere. Yeah. Yeah, Like, this this syndicate idea was a bit nebulous. The way we get Simon Pegg back into it is that he's like, he's been stuck in a, stuck to a desk. He gets these tickets to say he's won tickets to the Vienna Opera. Yeah. And then flies to Vienna. <laughs> yeah. And at no point, at no point, you're like, oh, I don't remember entering this contest to win tickets to the opera. Let's see. I assumed he was thinking, well, this is obviously a. a it's obviously a, Tom Cruise Tom trying Cruise to get to my attention. But then later on, like when Tom Cruise talked to him, he was like, I didn't win tickets to the opera, did I? And he was like, no, you didn't. 
That's it, and he's like, this guy's meant to be smart. Is that that a joke? I can't tell if he's... Yeah, it's... it's, I think it's... I think he genuinely is meant to think he's going to the opera. He gets all dressed up in his best, you know. I did like the bit... That whole scene, though, where someone's trying to shoot the Austrian Chancellor, who's at the opera, Mm. and... Tom Cruise and Simon Pegg are trying to stop them, and then it turns out there's another person trying to shoot them, and then Tom Cruise. And I liked the kind of the conclusion of that that Tom Cruise shoots the guy to injure him and get him out of the way because he can't stop both people. I like that. I thought it was a nice yeah. little cre- creative thinking on Ethan Hunt's part. And then they kill him anyway. <laughs> my my only two specific notes now are so the villain of this film, hey, the villain, oh Tom Cruise. <laughs> I'm going to do a Mission Impossible on you. It's what is that voice? What are they like in a serious film? How have they cast someone who talks like this? <laughs> well, I think he's, he's he's quite a kind of classic Bond villain in some ways. Like if he was, a, he would have been a Bond villain in like 1996. He was that kind of feel to it. But then, like, give him a metal claw and a, <laughs> a wooden hand or something. Like it's, it's kind of <sighs> calm and serene with a gravelly voice. I've made a note complaining that the depiction of drowning isn't very accurate. Well, because he's not sort of thrashing around enough. Because he just he just kind of passes out. In reality, your your body would force you to inhale at a certain point, which is where you take on water that fills your lungs, and that's how people drown. And it's mm. like a muscle reflex thing that you can't I, not that whole inhale. scene. Visually speaking, I found it a bit disappointing because of how much this franchise generally leans yeah, on practical effects. I completely agree. It, it's a great idea for a scene. He has yeah. to s- sort of swim down to this thing, hold his breath for ages, and they set it up. And I thought, oh wow, this is going to be a big action set piece with Tom Cruise swimming around a tank full of water, or like probably on a set, but like yeah. doing some really cool, like free swimming type, free diving stunt work. And then it just looks like a video game. Yeah. It's really poor, and like, and, and even the way it's shot, it's, you can tell it. Like, it's not even. It doesn't even feel like him in a tank of water, and then they've digitally put it in the background. It it feels like he wasn't even swimming, and they've just sort of faked it somehow. Do you know what I mean? Like, and it's because yeah, yeah, of the way I it's agree, shot. Yeah. Like, the camera angles are not realistic either. Yeah, like, there's definitely yeah. lots of shots there where it's not really him. It's yeah, just a, really like, a digitally down, rendered body. For the like you say for this series, you're just yeah. expecting this this fantastic action set piece, practical effects, and it, it just doesn't deliver there. And but. like frankly, that wouldn't be a difficult set to create by all yeah. purposes, would it? You know, a no. big tank of water, and it's like quite a uniform thing. You'd probably only yeah. have to build a quarter of it, you know, and then he just moves around in that section, mm. and then they they drag him out, and she's got a defibrillator from somewhere. Um, I don't know where that came from. She just sort of. And then she zaps. I mean, I don't know if a defibrillator does anything to a drowned person. I think I don't think that's how it works, is it? It's more yeah, like if you've it, had it a does, heart, it's, a heart it's to do with your lungs being full of water yeah. as opposed to kickstarting your heart again. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty sure they're not. <laughs> it's not yeah. I think Plus, if anything, you're just gonna like electric the electricity is gonna wet. like go all the way through the body in a way it's not supposed to because you're covered in water. But yeah. yeah, this felt a lot more enjoyable for me than most of the films i i it's a shame it's really it really does feel like it's lost that auteur element to it at this point and it has just settled yeah, into tom uh, cruise yeah. uh production line entertainment it's very it's fairly accomplished for what it is it's you know done to a certain quality um <sighs> there was another there was another bit in this film that more of this film than some of the others where it's like oh we need to get through we need to work out the combination for this lock oh just put this thing on it it works out for you 
we need a key for this. Just press this thing against it. It unlocks it for you. Like these kind of magic gadgets, which is just a bit disappointing. It's just like, I want something yeah. more intriguing than that. Something more... And, and then, so then you're creating... All the drama you're creating is, oh, we have to hack into the computer and change the thing so that it recognizes his ID. It's like, that's all you ever do. It's like... I don't know, I just want something a bit more, a bit more variety or something. <laughs> I did like, um, after he does drown, and they bring him back to life, the, the next sort of few minutes, he's like a bit fucked up and he's like talking funny. And then he goes to jump over the bonnet of the car and like just falls on his face. <laughs> yeah. I quite like I that. that. I, I, yeah, I, I, I kind of liked that as a little comedy bit. And I thought, oh, they're going to, this is going to lead somewhere. Like, because he couldn't remember who Benji was and stuff like that. And I thought yeah. this is going to be, it ends up he's been drugged or something. And yeah. it didn't. And I liked that it didn't. I liked that it was just this kind of like, look, he's just got fucked up. He just drowned. Like, give him a chance. <laughs> And there's a big chase scene with loads of motorbikes and Tom Cruise is in a car. I'm like, that's not going to last, is it? You know he's going to end up on a motorbike at some point because he fucking loves it. Yeah. And of course he did. And then and then he's, he's flying around on his motorbike at high speeds. The woman causes him to crash. He's not wearing a helmet. He's got a flouncy blouse on. There's not, no leathers or anything like that. He's gone about 80 miles an hour. Like, that would probably kill you. It would at very least just rip most of your skin off. Like that's just, and all he does is just sort of falls into the dirt and gets a bit dirty. He's not like, yeah. and that's there's a lot of things in these films where it just goes too far. Yeah, it's yeah, and then it just I sort mean, of descends into a lot of fighting, and I was like, oh, yeah. I mean, I, I think this just kind of, like, I say it. It feels like a production line thing now, and I, I reckon yeah. the next film's going to be exactly the same. As this, just, yeah, I watched the trailer. And it was just, yeah, it's exactly the same. So um, it's the first time they've ever brought in a a returning director. It's Christopher McQuarrie again. What what'd you give this one, out of Tim? Um, let me think. Let me look. Uh, I gave it six. Oh, I give it a five. So we are we are roughly in line with each other here, more or less. I think I'll be, I I seem to like them a bit more than you in general. Yeah. So what would we do if we were making? The sequel, Alan. What I'd like, what I would like to do is, if you're going to create a franchise, you sell it as a fra- the, the Mission Impossible is a franchise, and it's just a heist series. And every film yeah. you can have a completely different cast because that's ultimately the concept. It's like the Impossible Missions Force. These are the people we need for this week's mission. And even in the TV series, they always have the same people. But you could literally just have a different cast every time and, and let the action be your selling point. Well. Can I suggest we ease into that with a, a spin-off? Yeah. About uh, Benji Dunn and his sidekick played by Nick Frost. <laughs> okay, I'm interested. And we'll get Tom Cruise in there reprising his role, uh, Len Grossman from Tropic Thunder. I was just going to say that. Over. I'd love to see Tom Cruise playing like comedy parts again. Yeah, he's taken over the uh, the the organisation. Yeah, he's like the Lawrence Fishburne character now. Yeah, yeah. So Ethan Hunt doesn't appear, but Len Grossman does as the head of uh, IMF. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and Benji's sent off on a mission with Nick Frost. And we'll bring back... Uh, we'll have Jeremy Renner's character, but we'll recast him with um, Martin Freeman. Because <laughs> they, they seem like very similar space that they're operating in nowadays. Very plain. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Hang on, which what? So Simon Pegg's character is the lead. Yeah, well, it's the Benji, same character. It's a Benji so spinoff. Who's Nick Frost playing then? What's the what's the dynamic between them? Uh, so Benji works with computers normally, doesn't he? 
Yeah. Uh, so maybe he's like his apprentice IT guy that he's training up for like the week who gets yeah. caught in this. Just a forty-seven-year-old apprentice. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, he's retrained. <laughs> he's had to retrain at the job center. They've made him like go on an IT course. <laughs> so he's useless, and Benji's sick of it. Classic Peg uh, Frost dynamic. <laughs> yeah. Okay. What's the What's the mission? What's the impossible mission? I think we should just get rid... If they're having Wolf Blitzer play himself, I think we should just go full inside Hollywood. If Len Grossman's involved, he's he's sending them in to, like, infiltrate. Or maybe Len Grossman should just be in it as a Hollywood producer, mm-hmm. and he's not head of IMF. Like, they're sent in to, to infiltrate Len's big Hollywood mansion. You do it like Jay and Silent Bob Strikes Back, where there's a there's a big Hollywood film being made about the Impossible Missions Force, so they have to go <laughs> yeah. in there and stop it from happening because it's going to reveal too much. About yeah, them. perfect, brilliant. <laughs> and they just have loads of uh, gratuitous, gratuitous cameos, cameos. <laughs> yeah. which is kind of what this franchise is built on, anyway. <laughs> uh, yeah, fantastic. Oh, Steve Coogan. Ooh. <laughs> oh yeah, let's get Steve Coogan in because they, they like mining the uh, the British comedy well. Yeah, you can find especially the Alan Partridge people as well. We've got <laughs> exactly. Dave Schneider and and Patrick Marber and Simon Pegg even. So uh, yeah, let's get Steve Coogan in there. He he'd be great. He'd be a great head of IMF. He'd be a great like politician who's annoyed about something. Can we have Edgar Wright direct this one as well? Because we want to we want to keep the kind of auteur thing. Going. Yeah, 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 definitely. I'm on board with this. I think this would be good. Yeah. Uh, can we? Okay. Let's let's just to, just to um, bring it all together. We need one big action set piece, like oh, right. climbing up a, the tallest building in the world. Like, all right. What be? what have we got in LA to work with? The Hollywood sign. It's not big enough. <laughs> yeah. um, what's in California? One of those giant redwoods. The giant redwoods. There's a giant earthquake waiting to happen. Yeah. Yeah. And a giant tsunami. Oh, that's New York. Isn't it? <laughs> what if um, what if LA falls into the sea? <laughs> Or, or they could try and trigger Yellowstone super volcano. They're there to stop a film, and then there's an earthquake. It's completely unrelated. <laughs> <laughs> and there's a huge international uh, outcry because they need All right, help. no, they're there, they're there to stop a film. I think we should have Tom Cruise climbing a giant redwood because they're really tall. Tom Cruise is doing that now. Oh shit, uh, Benji. <laughs> okay. Actually, no, yeah, Tom Cruise is Len Grossman because Tom Cruise wants to do some stunt with his big hands. So that's a bit. There's got to be a scene at the Hollywood uh, sign with them climbing on it, like the end of North by Northwest. It should be a bit where Simon Pegg and Nick Frost are, are tied together some way in like a pulley, and they have to like he has to make Nick Frost has to pull Simon Pegg up. Um, <laughs> but then at one point, like he goes flying up in the air, like a kind what of about, and Hardy sketch. What about an action scene on a a train line? And they're being chased by a train, but they're on one of those old-timey <laughs> things you have to push up and down to make it go. Yes. Yes, okay, yeah, that's it. <laughs> I think that'd suit the franchise really well. And then the train, like, is catching up to them, catching up to them, and then it whizzes past, and it's actually on the line next to them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they're like, Great. Oh, God. Well, I, I hope you enjoyed that. hope it wasn't too painful, sans Calvin. If you enjoyed that, please do uh, go and let us know on the usual channels. Twitter, at Dim Returns Pod. Facebook, Diminishing Returns Podcast. iTunes. Leave us a, a review. It always helps us out. 
And as always, tell your friends, spread the word. We want to get as many people listening as we can. Maybe if we do, Calvin will be lured back like a, a Pokemon after one has used Sweet Scent. We will, of course, be back next week, and I am doing my usual thing of including a rather unsubtle hint as to what we'll be covering. Any ideas? Stop. <laughs>